0: It's Tuesday, August 3rd, 2010, and you've got Oz in your ears.
1: Dr. Blowjob, send me a job. I'm out of work and I feel like a slob. Please twist on your magic knob. And Dr. Blowjob, send me, please, please mend me. Dr. Blowjob, send me a job.
2: Thank you, Bernice Hey. You're out of work, and I'm not, and that's why I can show up to host the one program that puts Americans back to work, one American at a time. Our first job seeker is Steril Gorgon of Brooklyn, Iowa.
0: Happy to be on the show, uh, Dr. Blowjob. Oh, just call me BJ, Steril, so tell me, where were you pinked? At Midwest Great Pains Packing, Doctor. I was a standby safety chain operator at the Lamb Sluice.
2: That's hard work, but it is work. <laughs> now, you stay right where you are, Steril. I've been doing that for months. Our other job seeker is a first-timer in the line. He's Tweed Eastern from Same-Sex, Massachusetts. Who was at the other end of your downsizing hatchet, Tweed? A worldwide whatever. I was halfway through my training as a generic brand special events manager when the bubble burst. Well, let's see if we can blow it up again. The voice you're about to hear, because you can't see him behind the screen, is a real employer with a real job opening. He'll test each of you with a job-related scenario, and your solution to the problem will determine which of you will walk away with a job, and which will return to a life of uncertainty, restlessness, and free-floating stress. Sounds like you've been there.
0: (laughs) Mr. Gorgon. You're working for one of our communications divisions cutting a data pathway through an old growth redwood forest, and your blade accidentally cuts through a nest of endangered songbirds. How would you alert the authorities? Well, so where I come from, we have a saying eat what you kill and have the EPA for dessert. Oh, ho, 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 ho. you come strong
2: out of the box there, Stero. Mr.
0: Eastern. You're working as a tour person in one of our theme parks and the fun bus you're on accidentally runs over a trained pony at the petting zoo. How do you handle the shocked crowd of tourists and school children?
3: I'd remind them, sir, that it's a zero-sum life now. When that pony goes into our meat wagon, it means more hamburger for everybody.
2: Oh, let's eat. And now the moment of truth. Who gets hired and who stays mired? The moment of truth. And yet, truth really doesn't have anything to do with it. If it did, the vast majority of the unemployed would be back at work. And the handful of lazy, system-playing-out-of-work slackers would fall off the radar. Or hire themselves out to GOP rallies as negative role models.
3: I've made my decision. I don't want sterile. Oh. Oh. And I don't want tweed. Oh. I want them both, I want ruthless
2: and ruthless. I know good news when I hear it. Well, oh, thanks, time. Right. That's not Thank you. so <laughs> well. All right, Bernice, oh, take you. it away. What another one to
1: Dr. Blowjob, you got me a job. Now I can eat and I don't have to rob. You turned on your magic knob. They downsized and pinked me. You then rethink me, Dr. cho Thanks for that job.
0: Early August 2010. They're taking WikiLeaks all over us, Dave.
2: <laughs> well, it's hot out there, Pete. It was the hottest month just about everywhere in July. So, you
0: think it's going to stay hot in August? Or? Well, before I make any of those terrible predictions, yes, right, which uh-huh. is first, I'm Peter Bergman, your host here on Radio Free Oz, just oh. for the few who have, like, come up, you know, thinking they're going to download airplanes, Two again. And my co-host is David Osman, <laughs> and you've got Oz in your ears on Radio Free Oz. You certainly com. do. Just do in I, case
2: you're expecting sound effects. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. Is the download. For or audio
0: thing. nude pictures, or whatever it might be. Uh, I don't know what the temperature is going to be. First of all, this is web show. If I say it's going to be hot all this month and somebody's listening in Auckland. It was
2: probably hot in
0: Auckland. That's true. It's global warming everywhere. We didn't have a winter. So no. (laughs) Uh, But I'll tell you, I was down in LA in July and normally it's sizzling hot and it wasn't. it It wasn't. It was misty And it was the oddest thing, Dave. I spent four decades there, right? What I did in two days, the amount of traveling I did to go around and see all my buddies and friends and business stuff, I would have never done in two weeks in L.A. because I would have never gotten on the road. But when I arrived there, staying in this modest motel in Calabasas, the good night inn. And I mean, <laughs> good night. Uh-huh. Well, no, Clean, but modest. Uh, we got in the car with with, with Bill McIntyre, and I realized, I don't live here. I'm in L.A. Where are you? It doesn't matter. I can find you. I don't live here. I'll drive. And I drove. We drove all over the county for two days and saw tons of people. It was very liberating. I'm glad I'm back. Yeah. It's crazy. It's dirty. And it's nervous. But... Uh, it's still, it's still filled with some really fabulous people. Mike Backus, who's going to be, you know, continuing with light up with Mike. You know, we went and visited him at the, the, the state of the art marijuana medic, you know, medical marijuana dispensing facility. Uh, it, it's really cool.
2: Well, yeah. he's, uh, he's 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 the cutting edge man. Uh, Absolutely
0: in, in L.A. Anyway, yeah. he'll be talking to us about what he calls ten spot pot, uh-huh. which is like going to Trader Joe's for two-buck chuck, oh, yeah. May, may not relate to a lot of people, no, but Trader Joe's has got this like $2 wine that everybody uses. Either they drink it surreptitiously or very ostentatiously pour it in their cooking. Uh, you know, it's, it, <laughs> it's actually
2: three bucks here. It's a
0: dollar no. more in oh, Washington. is it three-buck chuck? Yeah. Of course, of course, three-buck chuck. So this, this the, you know, the city of Oakland, right, has now legalized uh, – a license various large growing facilities to make their medical marijuana. These are huge indoor facilities, acres of marijuana under artificial lights.
2: See, that's what, what happens when you tear down a useless freeway and all those terrible housing developments from the 50s, right? You put a big pot
0: field in there. Indoor pot field, which of course is kind of grungy when you think about the fact that, yeah, it's it's going to be you know, ten spot pot. It's going to be how good is it? Well, I don't know. Pot grown under lights. I can't tell you. It's just not the same thing. You know. So Michael
2: be with us soon. He'll be with, with another a, puff.
0: Yeah, with And then we went out to see John Goodman. Mm-hmm. John Goodman has lost a hundred pounds. He looks fabulous. He loves the show. He's going to be on the show. We're working out up you know how to best do this. Mm-hmm. He uh, just did a year on a very interesting series called Treme, I think it was called, on HBO. I just, I don't, I got to tell you something, folks. You're going to think I'm a complete Luddite, but I don't have a TV. It's not that I hate TV. I just watch so much, I'm taking a break. So he's done that. He's working on something at Universal, and he's been doing some films, and he's going to be on Oz. He's going to come along. And then... Also got a chance to meet with Rex Olson, who's content provider for Newtek, which is the the state of the art company for creating machines that broadcast webcast. We're going to be doing our first paper webcast at the end of August, so he's going to they're going to work with us and look for more news on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it it was really really nice to be down there, and I'll we'll talk I'll talk about the Daryl Hanna experience, the 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 world of the Wounded Guinevere. You know, anon. But it was really a very interesting time. After Daryl Hannah, all I, I could
2: then possibly do is just fade to black, like this, right? Don't we do? Doodly 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 do.
0: Dave, I was up uh, in the parking lot waiting to get on the ferry, and the van next to me had a bumper sticker that said, "Politicians like unarmed voters." And I thought, well, I don't know, but I know that in Louisiana, they don't like anybody to be unarmed. The The Louisiana Conference of Catholic Bishops has has had enough. They they, they said that despite a law signed by Governor Bobby Jindal, who's also into exorcism, by the Mm. way, signed Mm. earlier this month, there will be no guns allowed in Roman Catholic churches in the state. Uh, Early in July, Jindal signed a law that permits places of worship in Louisiana to designate congregants with concealed weapon permits as members of a security force, who are then allowed to be armed during services. Previously, only members of law enforcement could enter places of worship while carrying guns. But according to USA Today, Danny Lohr, executive director of the churches, this is the Catholic Church's public policy arm in Louisiana, said that we don't think it's appropriate to have guns in churches. Gee,
2: uh, that was not difficult to arrive at, I hope, intellectually for this fella. I mean, I I hope it was just instinctively, guns don't belong in churches, like like, guns don't belong in schools,
0: like like that sort of, which just burst out of his mouth you well know? guns in churches in like central america kill those uh radical bishops right that's not such a good thing to have a gun in a church uh, it also uh, gets in the way you kneel down for i don't know whatever you do clank big thing clank. is the as, uh, ak-47 but hits the floor well, yeah and you're just trying to get communion you know and you go for the wafer and you, you end up with like a shoulder holster it's, it's i don't want to go there
2: no no i don't think well i would want to go there if that was the only place there weren't any guns
0: this looks like a microcosm of America to me.
2: Well, Peter, I just—one uh, little bit of bad news. Uh, uh, last week, one of the really smart people in uh, the journalism business passed away, Daniel Shore. Really? At the wow. age of 93. Wow. Now, he didn't start as an NPR commentator until he was 70 years old. So, I mean, you There's got places hope.
0: to go. There's man.
2: hope for both of us. And Dan Shore was really, really a smart guy. Uh, started at CBS, of course. And
0: wasn't he? One, was he one of Murrow's bright, best of the brightest? I think he wasn't was, he uh, one of bo- one of the boys? Yeah,
2: he was one, the last one hired, I think, uh, yeah. by Ed Murrow. But yeah. anyway, that was uh, that was last week on the twenty third. And here's an odd thing, Pete. I mean, you never. This is a very small story on page one hundred and fourteen of the Times, and you didn't bring this out, and I, I guess I, I have to be the one who... I must
0: have missed it, Dave. Yes, the
2: Central Intelligence Agency brought one of its most experienced officers out of retirement. Nobody gets to retire, huh? To 58 run the, years old. To run the far flung intelligence network known as the National Clandestine, clandestine Service. Service. Yes. That's so clandestine, I didn't even know there was one. Until his retirement in May... John D. Bennett, 58. Hey, I hit you, know, you didn't I?
0: I saw this story. 58. I didn't bring it up because I thought, well, who cares? But you care. And
2: that's I important. care. Well, he's retired at 58. In the first place, that burns me up. Okay. Well, he was totally burned out. Come Look what he on. did,
0: man. He was running clandestine services. He was
2: the most senior station chief and one of its premier experts on Africa, where he it says here, witnessed the emergence of al-Qaeda in the 1990s. He was also the station chief in Pakistan. And there he oversaw the Predator drone program, which has become the agency's most successful weapon against terrorism. So here he comes, John Bennett, 58 years old, far too
0: young to retire. Come to lead the unmanned cowards to victory as we define it. More on top secret America, a lovely investigative report from the Washington Post. To get another view of how sprawling, top-secret America has become, just head west on the toll road near Dulles International Airport. Many of the newest buildings are not just utilitarian offices, but also edifices, quote, on the order of the pyramids, in the words of one senior military intelligence officer. Not far from the Dulles toll road, the CIA has expanded into two buildings that will increase the agency's office space by one-third. And that's no small thing, because that CIA building is big, big, big. To the south, Springfield is becoming home to a new $1.8 billion National Geospatial Intelligence Agency headquarters, which will be the fourth largest federal building in the area and home to 8,500, get this, 8,500 employees. Economic stimulus money is paying hundreds of millions of dollars for this kind of federal construction across the region. CIFs are not the only must-have items people pay attention to. Command centers, internal television networks, video walls, armored SUVs, and personal security guards have become the bling of national security. It's fascism, baby. Take a look at it. It's right out of The Empire Strikes Back. I I noticed that when I I watched Star Wars again, I don't know, for for some reason, and those guys in those white plastic suits look a lot like our guys landing in the latest Stan To what? Build a nation? Uh, Take burkas off of women? Or is it to guard a pipeline? Or maybe put a burka on a pipeline to keep it warm during those terrible winters? You can't find a four-star general without a security detail, said one three-star general now posted in Washington after years abroad. Fear has caused everyone to have stuff. Then comes, if he has one, then I have to have one. It becomes a status symbol. Among the most important people inside the SCIFs are the low-paid employees, right, carrying their lunches to work to save money. They are the analysts, the 20- to 30-year-olds making 41000 to 65000 a year, whose job is at the core of everything Top Secret America tries to do. At its best, analysts meld cultural understanding with snippets of conversations, coded dialogue, anonymous tips, even scraps of trash, turning them into the clues that lead to individuals and groups trying to harm the United States. And I have to say... In their defense, that they're doing an absolutely low-rate, lousy, crappy job. I just want to give them the props they deserve. Their work is greatly enhanced by computers that sort through and categorize data. But in the end, analysis requires human judgment, and we have little of that. And half the analysts are relatively inexperienced, having been hired in the past seven years said a senior ODNI official contract analysts are often straight out of college and trained at corporate uh, institutions and the headquarters of various corporate security companies these are like college seniors coming out to to you know to run through the trash and and all the gibberish and all the intercepts to find out who's come here to do us harm we're we're in if this is the, the wall, if this is the great firewall against terrorism, we're in big trouble. When Major General John M. Custer was the director of intelligence at US Central Command, he grew angry at how little helpful information came out of the NCTC. In two thousand and seven, he visited its director, at the time, retired Vice Admiral John Scott Red, and told him I told him that after Four and a half years, his organization had never produced one shred of information that helped me prosecute three wars, he said loudly, leaning over the table during the interview. I can see him, man. I can see just how pissed he must have been. Two years later, Custer, now head of the Army's intelligence school at Fort Huracha, Arizona, still gets red-faced, recalling that day, which reminds him of his frustration with Washington's bureaucracy. Who has the mission of reducing redundancy— and ensuring everybody doesn't gravitate to the lowest hanging fruit, he said. Who orchestrates what is produced so that everybody doesn't produce the same thing? Man, if you're working in a, in a, build, a windowless building under fluorescent light, drinking Red Bull and eating Twizzles, the fact is you are low-hanging fruit, and that's all you can see. Last fall, U.S. Major General Nidal Malik Hassan allegedly opened fire at Fort Hood, Texas, killing 13 people and wounding 30. In the days after the shootings, information emerged about Hassan's increasingly strange behavior at Walter Reed Army Medical Center, where he had trained as a psychiatrist and warned commanders that they should allow Muslims to leave the army or risk adverse events. He had also exchanged emails with a well-known radical cleric in Yemen being monitored by U.S. intelligence. So here's a guy who's talking with a radical clerk in Yemen and the word's not getting back because the low hanging fruit are playing halo on their computers. But none of this reached the one organization charged with handling counterintelligence investigations within the Army. Just 25 miles up the road from Walter Reed, the Army's 902nd Military Intelligence Group —there's 901 others — had been doing little to search the ranks for potential threats. Instead, the 902's commander had decided to turn the unit's attention to assessing general terrorist affiliations in the United States, even though the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI's 106 Joint Terrorism Task Forces were already doing this work in great Well, I don't know about great depth, but they're doing some work. Secrecy can undermine the normal chain of command when senior officials use it to cut out rivals or when subordinates are ordered to keep secrets from their commanders. One military officer involved in one such program said he was ordered to sign a document prohibiting him from disclosing it to his four-star commander. Four-star, with whom he worked closely every day, because the commander was not authorized to know about it.
2: This is insanity!
0: Another senior defense official recalls the day he tried to find out about a program in his budget only to be rebuffed by a peer. What do you mean you can't tell me? I pay for the program, he recalled, saying, in a heated exchange. Oh... It's only getting worse. I mean, as it gets more and more difficult to find work, more and more people are going to gravitate to the so-called intelligence community. You know, it's, it's a job, it's a pension, it's health, it's Halo, it's Red Bull, it's fluorescent lights. <laughs>
1: Rising Dream the way you want to be Live the way you dream you be Sing the songs that set you free The energy new direction. Dream the way you want to be Live the way you dream you'd be. Sing the songs that set you free The energy An exiled song, fiddle and guitar, as the shoppers step along. In the music, we find a home. It shows us where we've come from, lets us know we're not alone. Dream the way you want to be, live the way you dream you'd be. Sing the songs that set you free, in a new direction. The way you dreamed you'd be. Sing the songs that set you free in a new direction. The otter splashed and then was gone Someone sang another song And all right All together now In our coats of many colors Our coats of many colors Dream the way you want to be Live the way you dream you'd be Sing the songs that set you free In a new direction Dream the way you want to be Live the way you dream you'd be Sing the songs that set you free In a new direction Dream the way you want to be Live the way you dream you'd be Sing the songs that set you free In a new direction
0: When we talk about the occupation in Afghanistan, call it a war if you wish, but it's not a war. It's an armed occupation. Uh, We listen to... um Ambassador Eikenberry, the former commander there who says it isn't working. We're making them dependent upon us. Don't send more troops. Karzai is not a credible partner. We, we listen to people like Carl Levin who goes there and takes a look and comes back and says, this just isn't happening. But here is us army staff, Sergeant Andrew Smith in the blog truth. Dig who gives it to us from the ground level. He calls his blog war without purpose. Al-Qaeda could not care less what we do in Afghanistan, says Sergeant Smith. We can bomb Afghan villages, hunt the Taliban in Helmand province, build a 100,000-strong client Afghan army, stand by passively as Afghan warlords execute hundreds, maybe thousands, of Taliban prisoners, build huge elaborate military bases, and send drones to drop bombs on Pakistan. It will make no difference. The war will not halt the attacks of Islamic radicals. Terrorists and insurgent groups are not Conventional forces, they do not play by the rules of warfare, uh, which uh, actually our commanders have drilled into uh, people like ourselves in war colleges and service academies. The rules of war, that's almost an oxymoron. And these underground groups are protean. Changing shape and color as they drift from one failed state to the next, plan a terrorist attack, and then fade back into the shadows. We are fighting with the wrong tools. We are fighting the wrong people. We are on the wrong side of history, and we will be defeated in Afghanistan as we will be in Iraq. Oh, that's dismal, isn't it? We have stumbled into a confusing mix of armed groups that include criminal gangs, drug traffickers, Pashtun and Tajik militias, kidnapping rings, death squads, and mercenaries, We are embroiled in a civil war. The Pashtuns, who make up most of the Taliban and are the traditional rulers of Afghanistan, are battling the Tajiks and Uzbeks, who make up the Northern Alliance, which, with foreign help, i.e. our help, won the civil war in 2001. The old Northern Alliance now dominates the corrupt and incompetent government. It is deeply hated and... And it will fall with us. Karzai knows, that. this is me, Karzai knows the only way he's going to keep his head is if he keeps Americans around him. Because the minute we leave, he am a dead man. They're going to put his head in a bag and play polo. We are losing the war in Afghanistan. When we invaded the country eight years ago, the Taliban controlled about 75% of Afghanistan. Today, its reach has crept back to about half the country. The Taliban runs the poppy trade, which brings in an annual income of about $300 million a year. You can run a resistance on 300 mil. It brazenly carries out attacks in Kabul, the capital, and foreigners, fearing kidnapping, rarely walk the streets of most Afghan cities. It is life-threatening to go into the countryside where 80% of all Afghans live unless escorted by NATO troops. And intrepid reporters can interview Taliban officials in downtown coffee shops in Kabul. Osama bin Laden has, to the amusement of much of the rest of the world, become the where's Waldo of the Middle East. Take away the bullets and the bombs and you have a Gilbert and Sullivan farce. No one seems to be able to articulate why we are in Afghanistan. Is it to hunt down bin Laden and al-Qaeda? Is it to consolidate progress? Uh, Have we declared war on the Taliban? Are we building democracy? Are we fighting terrorists there so we don't have to fight them here? Are we liberating the women of Afghanistan? The absurdity of the questions used as thought-terminating cliches exposes the absurdity of the war. The confusion of purpose mirrors the confusion on the ground. We do not know what we are doing. Thank you, Sergeant Smith. Uh, one of my favorite little blogs, uh, uh, Political Wire, it's, it's all politics, but it's really brief and it really gets in the good stuff, it tells us that there's a new Quinnipiac poll, David, finds that 79% of Americans believe the economy is still in recession as compared to 74% who felt that way in May and 71% who said so in May of 2008. So a year, almost a year, two months ago, it's gone up. The people, they know what's happening. That's when the economy began to slide officially. A majority, 52%, also think the economy has started to recover. So they're not really sure. Most interesting, American voters say by a 64 to 30% margin that reducing unemployment is more important than reducing the federal budget deficit. Even Republicans say by 58% to 38% that reducing unemployment is more important. So what we're looking at, baby, is a Republican constituency 58 to 38 that are in total disagreement with all of the people, all the GOP in the Congress who are saying just the opposite. Well,
2: they are going to pass. They they are going to pass a jobs bill. I mean, they've they've got to do that because that's where the that's the public outcry is stronger than on any other subject at the moment but the uh,
0: GOP isn't listening and there, there no, was an no, article I, I couldn't find it today so I can't uh, quote it in depth but I think it was in the Seattle Times that said that the Obama people the smart people man you just can't step away from thinking these people don't know what's going on you know they won an, an impossible election by by you know taking over the nation via the internet and getting in touch they are organizing the the unemployed and the welfare people to vote and they're actually coming forward to vote It used to be when you were on welfare, or unemployed, you were much too, you know, just out of it to vote because that takes time and thought. Not now. There's a real, uh, if not radicalization, an an energizing of the unemployed, and they are going to make a big difference in the midterms.
2: You think the unemployed are more um, more apt to? Uh, vote against the Republicans than um, than than the than the than the Tea Partyists, the nativists, uh, you know, who might be employed.
0: Well, absolutely, yes. Only because the GOP continuous continuously disses them, calls them things like stray animals, calls them lazy, says that that getting unemployment is a sign that you don't want to work, you'd rather stay at home. This is libelous. This is this is how you lose an entire. You see, it's not a demographic. The unemployed that shifts, right? You aren't necessarily born unemployed for all of your life the way you're born Hispanic or a woman or gay but this is a real demographic now it's a huge slice of the people and their children are watching their parents suffer too so you're creating Democrats down the line we certainly are creating
2: children who don't know what to do I was uh, up at Oak Harbor High School the other day which is in the midst of the Naval Reserve up at the north end of the island and and uh, the guy we were talking to who teaches uh, the media classes, who teaches animation and uh, uh, video editing and all those kinds of creative things, said that he really didn't feel he, – he felt a strong apathy on the part of the students where, it, where creativity happens, that he couldn't make them. You can't make anybody be creative, of course. But here they couldn't even take the opportunity to become creative. And why? I think because it's hopeless out there. If I can't get a job being an auto mechanic, uh, how am I going to get a job being a video editor or some exotic, you know, or writer right or performer. Or writer performer.
0: Well, yeah. w- another thing is, is that with all of the CGI and with the fact that entertainment is moving at the speed of light, double, 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 and everything is, is capable, it's, it's, it's stunning. I mean, you go, oh, my God, how can I get into that? Where do I start? Why don't I just be a receiver? How in the world can I ever get that? together it's it's overwhelming
1: yeah
2: creativity can happen to uh, you know the 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 lowest of the nerds you know creativity is everywhere uh you uh, take those science classes learn how to do calculus and out of that you might invent a way to get
0: us out of the thing we're
2: in help
0: well the WikiLeaks. They've leaked 91,000 secret documents, painting a bleak picture of the Afghanistan war, and the White House has responded with alacrity. They're calling it irresponsible and saying that the source, the whistleblower website WikiLeaks, opposes U.S. policy in Afghanistan. I like that, see? You oppose the UN, you know, you you come forward and you tell the truth, and you release all of these real papers, and that means you oppose the US policy in Afghanistan, so you aren't like balanced and fair, like who? WikiLeaks said its Afghan war diary consists mostly of reports written by soldiers and intelligence officers describing lethal military actions involving the United States military. And it gave the these leaks, these papers, to the New York Times, the Guardian in England, and Germany's Der Spiegel in advance, right, so that they would be covered, so that, you know, joining one paper wouldn't keep it from happening, you know? White House National Security Advisor James Jones issued a statement that begins, The United States strongly condemns the disclosure of classified information by individuals and organizations which could put the lives of Americans and our partners at risk and threaten our national security. That's strange. It seems to me, Jimmy, that it's American policy that refuses to confront Pakistan that is putting our forces at risk. That's right. Sending people into a hostile country that doesn't want us there for no particularly good reason, that's what's putting us at risk, not exposing the folly. Quote, "...Wikileaks made no effort to contact us about these documents. The United States government learned from news organizations that these documents would be posted. These irresponsible leaks will not impact our ongoing commitment to deepen our partnership with Afghanistan and Pakistan to defeat our common enemies." and to support the aspirations of the Afghan and Pakistani people. What drivel. In other words, what they're saying is, we're so deeply in bed with Pakistan and Karzai and his dope lord brother that no revelations, no matter how shocking, are going to get in the way or affect our total state of reckless denial. The official White House response goes on, quote, and this is the Obama White House. He's got to know what's happening. So this is Mr. O. Shame on you. The period of time covered in these documents, January 2004 to December 2009, is before the President announced his new strategy. Some of the disconcerting things reported are exactly why the President ordered a three-month policy review and a change in strategy. No, he didn't. We know from the Eikenberry cables that he didn't listen to the very man on the ground, not just any man, not the, not only the man that was the commander of American forces in Afghanistan, but a scholar and a diplomat and a soldier, a Rara rah awis, a rare bird among the people that work for the United States government. And Hillary Clinton gave him the cold shoulder. Shame on you, Hillary. So, here's, here's Obama's new strategy, see. His new strategy is sending 30,000 troops and a couple hundred cases of Bud Lime light per McChrystal's demands. That's what he did. But what it has done to address or solve any of the problems raised by these leaked documents remains completely unclear, like the atmosphere in AFPAC. And the official, the White House official added... It's worth noting that WikiLeaks is not an objective news outlet, but rather an organization that opposes U.S. policy in Afghanistan. Ah, they said it again, right? You can't be objective if you take a look at the mess and say, this is completely fuck Back
3: from the shadows again Out where and in Your friend Where the vegetables are green And you can be into the stream Yes, we're back from the shadows again Howdy, everybody I'm the Whispering Squad And I'm the Lotion Beat Tick And I'm Artie just a joke. And don't be afraid, little people, because we're just holy ground. Great. Yeah, but what about you, partner? What you doing today? Can't be much, lonesome. Nobody's working. Nobody except us, and I'm <laughs> getting tired of standing here with these geeks gawking at me. Now you keep it sweet, Pete. Listen here, it I'm gonna... <laughs> pluck now, you now, your boys. <laughs> Fighting's out of style. Yeah. And fun's where the fair's yeah. at, In the future, that is. You can bet your roots towards it's tons of fun. And technical stimulation. That's what I do. And there's lots more of me where I come from. In government-inflicted simulation. The future can't wait. No place to hide. Yeah, so climb on a board. We're going inside. We're going back to the the shadows shadows again. again. (laughs) (laughs) Out where an Indian's your friend going down going down where the vegetables are green and you can pee right into the stream and that's important we're back from the shadow again
0: i know we've been beating the dead horse and all that meaning john bomer the sultan of suntan the man who who thinks he may be He might be majority speaker of the House. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, a real Paul with brains and toughness and compassion and and this – in a meeting with several reporters, I got to get into this. It's, it, it, mm. it, this was in mm-hmm. Talking Points Memo, Dave. Okay. House Minority Leader John Bomer outlined the top three measures he'd pursue if he became Speaker of the House in the next Congress. These are his measures to create new jobs. Okay. But those who thought he'd outline specific programs, I wonder who they were, and how they'd create jobs were disappointed with a familiar litany of wish lists. Okay, here's what he's going to do to make jobs happen. All right. Repeal health care reform. Eschew climate legislation and renew the Bush tax cuts. Uh,
2: Uh, uh Where where does that lead exactly to new jobs?
0: Well, in other words, repeal a program that largely hasn't taken effect, Uh keep a current tax structure in place, and uh, step four – where are the profits? Well,
2: you know, and, George, and no cap and trade. George is coming back. You know, George Bush is coming back. They here. say w, he's back D- w is coming back. According and this to the is, Republicans, yeah. Well, this is uh, this is like uh, uh, shine, yeah. shine 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 on W with these things. He was right all the time. We were the war was right. The you know it was actually Clinton or somebody who lost all that money.
0: Well, no way. John's got the point here. I mean, yeah. The first thing I okay. would do is repeal Obamacare. He said Obamacare. Uh, yeah, he says it's a giant impediment for employment impediment, I'm, I'm sounding like him now, not only will it ruin the best health care system in the world, it will bankrupt our country, not the best health care system by far. Well, how can you even
2: say that, Well, oh,
0: because, because he's a nitty. Okay, he's, he's a, a nit. nitty. He, he's so, a git. What, what about all the
2: people that would presumably be working?
0: Please don't go there, David. Oh, okay, all right. Secondly, no, no cap and trade, said Suntan No cap and trade. You raise the cost of energy, you raise the cost of doing business, and thirdly, don't raise people's taxes. You want to get the economy going, give people certainty about what the tax rates are going to be. Democrats hope to let the Bush tax cuts on wealthy Americans expire before the uh, end of the year. But uh, Bomber wants the tax cuts to continue across the well, board. Sure. And that's the thinking from yeah. our next potential Speaker of the
2: House. Well, you know, the, uh, since businesses are really doing quite well profit-wise and the stock market is really doing quite well profit-wise. Churning-wise. Churning. Uh, uh, all those, that all brings money into – not the system, of course. It brings money into uh, homes in, in uh, rich suburbs.
0: Only one person really gets that money, Bernie Madoff. Soon that recruiting poster will say, not we're looking for a few good men, but we're looking for a few good drones. Back in 2004, the Air Force could put a total of only five drone combat air patrols, CAPs as they call them, that's what they use now to cap people, each consisting of four air vehicles in the skies over American war zones at any one time. By 2009, five years later, that number was 38, a 660% increase according to the Air Force. More flight time will undoubtedly mean more killing. According to Peter Bergen and Catherine Tiderman of the Washington-based think tank, the New America Foundation, in the Bush years from 2006 to 2009, in three years there were 41 drone strikes in Pakistan, which killed 454 militants and civilians. And we, of course, can't tell one from the other. Last year, in one year, under Mr. O., There were 42 strikes that left 453 people dead. Bush killed 454 in three years. We're only one person under in one year. Good going, Barack. Just, hey, get us records ahead. A recent report by the Pakistan Institute of Peace Studies, an Islamabad-based independent research organization, that tracks security issues claimed even larger numbers, 667 people, most of them civilians, killed by U.S. drone strikes last year. Well, you can say, yeah, that's probably propaganda. That's just the Pakistanis trying to make us look like a bunch of civilian cappers. Oh, yeah. While assisting the CIA's drone operations in the Pakistani tribal borderlands, the Air Force has been increasing its own unmanned aerial hunter-killer missions. These are coward missions. These are people sitting, drinking beer in Las Vegas, killing people at a distance. This isn't war. This is deadly pong. From 2001, when armed droned operations began until the spring of 2009, the Air Force fired 703 Hellfire missiles and dropped 132 GBU-12s. These are 500-pound laser-guided bombs in combat operations. The Army, by comparison, launched just two Hellfire missiles and two smaller GBU-44 Viper strikes in the same period. It makes the Army either look like peaceful heroes or wusses. It's just a point of view. The disparity should only grow since the Army's drones remain predominantly small surveillance aircraft, while in 2009... The Air Force shifted all outstanding orders for the medium-sized Predator to the even more formidable Reaper. Ah, beat the reaper which is only twice as fast which is not only twice as fast but has 600 percent more payload capacity meaning more space for bombs and missiles yeah we can take out more of them wedding parties you know they're suspect a lot of people standing around in a group in in afghanistan must be insurgents hey why wait to find out here's a present you didn't expect In addition, the more heavily armed Reapers, which can now loiter over an area for 10 to 14 hours without refueling, don't you get busted for loitering? We'll be able to spot and track even more targets via an increasingly sophisticated video monitoring system. The first three, get ready, Gorgon Stair Pods. New wide area sensors that provide surveillance capabilities over large swaths of territory will be installed on reapers operating in Afghanistan this spring. Gorgon stair pods? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is from the Greek myth, you know. Go up, the gorgon's got all the snakes in her hair, and if you look at her directly, you turn to stone, so you take a look at her in the reflection of your shield and cut her head off. Well, You better watch out, Barack, because you may wake up in the morning with a head full of stone snakes. A technology not available to the older Predator, Gorgon Stare. I can't stand it. I'm paying for Gorgon Stare with my hard-earned money. This is hell on wheels. Well, the Gorgon Stare will allow 10 operators to view 10 video feeds from a single drone at the same time. Oh, the devil's laughing back at a distant base, a pilot, and that's of course in quotes, because not really a pilot's never been up in the air, you know, will stare at a tiled screen with a composite picture of the streaming battlefield video, even as field commanders analyze a portion of the digital picture, panning, zooming, and tilting the image to meet their needs. It's military porn! A more advanced set of Pods scheduled to be deployed for the first time this fall will allow 30 operators to view 30 video images simultaneously. In other words, via video feeds from a single Reaper drone, operators could theoretically track 30 different people heading in 30 directions from a single Afghan compound. There's not that many places to go in Afghanistan.
3: I don't want it anymore, Dr. Gunderson. Don't want what, child? (laughs) My coffee. The warden says he's tired of my coffee. Well, it's been pretty clear that your coffee don't got zest appeal. Zest appeal? What's that? I don't know. Oh. That's the secret ingredient in Airsart Brothers Coffee, yeah. Look here. Oh. A blend oh. of the finest Brazilian soya beans, <gasps> Chilean chicory nuts, <gasps> and Spanish flies. Oh. Here, take this can home with you, Katie. The next morning... More uh, <sighs> coffee, Martin. <warden. laughs> oh, I think I've had enough. <laughs> oh. Erzatz Brothers coffee, the real one. Look for the can in the plain brown can.
0: Uh, more commentary on this uh, unemployment extension that finally passed, because it is absolutely emblematic of where we stand right now, having fallen into this endless pit of of economic collapse, which, of course, nobody's looking at really seriously. Nobody really, really has a sense of it, except a few. And there's a guy in Congress named uh, Representative Alan Grayson, right? He's the guy that people find to be outrageous only because he's a bit of a truth teller. Grayson said on the House floor that Republicans are blocking a reauthorization of unemployment benefits, this is just before it passed, in order to resurrect the America of the 1930s. Ah, what a diorama. Ah, bring back the Dust Bowl and the Hoovervilles and the soup lines. There was no unemployment insurance back then, Grayson said, in one of the most colorful speeches on the issue. There was no state benefits back then. There was no help for the people who had no job. All they could do, like my Grandfather in desperate straits, supporting a family of seven, was to go to the dump and desperately try to find something he could sell. That, my friends, is the America that the Republicans are trying to revive the America of desperate straits and, for them, cheap labor. He's talking class war here. The America where people have nothing, hope for nothing, and are desperate to live to the next day. That is what the Republicans are trying to resurrect by blocking unemployment insurance day after day, week after week, and now month after month. Grayson suggested, as many Democrats have, that Republicans are unfamiliar with regular folks dealing with the job crisis. Now, I know what the Republicans are thinking, says Grayson. They're thinking, why don't they just sell some stock? Talking about the unemployed, said Grayson, who is himself a millionaire. If they're in really dire straits, maybe they could take some of their art collection and send it off to the auctioneer. And if they're in deep, deep trouble, maybe these unemployed can sell one of their yachts. And I will say this to the Republicans who have blocked this bill now for months and kept food out of the mouths of children, Grayson concluded. I will say to them now, may God have mercy on your souls. I wonder if he will. He's a pretty loving God. He's a pretty big God. So I think his tent is big enough to put those GOP hard-hearted, compassionless bastards inside. Keep them out of the rain of tears. Dave, I wish I could tell you that Tom Ten Credo, former representative Tom Tem Credo or Credo, was, was an outlier, an, you know, an aberration amongst the, the right wing. But he's not. He just says what everybody else wants to say. And now this wingnut is running for governor as an independent, I believe, in Colorado and causing all sorts of tourists there. Mm-hmm. So I thought for those of you who might be considering voting for him or those of you who might be considering the Tea Party as an alternative,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: here, mm-hmm. are some of, here are some of the themes. I'll, that I'll, ra-
2: I'll, be, I'll, I'll be rating this.
0: All right. Yeah. Okay. Number That's one, sad, the time that Tancredo argued that Obama is a greater threat than Al Qaeda.
2: <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, I'd have to put that right over there at 10. That's a 10. That's, that's, that's a big one, one. yeah. Okay. The
0: Time 10 Crater called Sotomayor a member of the Latino KKK because she was a member of the National Council of La Raza, which she described as a Latino KKK without the hoods or the nooses. Where do you
2: put it? Well, they got the hoods,
0: man. They, I don't got, know what they you're come from the about. hoods. They got the
2: hoods. Gee whiz. Uh, I'd have to give that one another 10. Pete. There you go. Tommy. Yeah, it's outrageous. The, Let's the, go.
0: The Time Tancredo lamented Miami becoming a third world country. Well, come on, you know six. That's, that's six. six. That's, six.
2: That's, that's just sarcasm. Yeah.
0: The Time Ten Credo accused the Pope of welcoming illegal immigrants to the U.S. to boost church membership. In two thousand and eight, Pope Benedict the sixteenth, not my favorite dude, but visited the U.S. and he urged that communities welcome the immigrants who join their ranks. Okay. Immigrants it didn't say undocumented immigrants, just yeah, immigrants. Right? And 10 credos I suspect the Pope's uh, Pope's immigration comments may have less to do with spreading the gospel than they do about recruiting new members of the church. This isn't preaching; it's faith-based marketing. Where do you put that? Faith-based marketing.
2: Well, as a, as a phrase maker, I'd give him a seven on okay. that. Okay. On, on that, two I, tens,
0: a six, and a seven. Yep, Remember yep. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Five, the time Tancredo said he didn't know whether the Obama administration hates white people. Appearing on MSNBC, he was asked if he agreed with Rush Limbaugh (laughs) that the Obama administration hated white people. And his answer was, what do I, I have no idea if they hate white people or not. That's just stupid. That gives him a two. That's a two. That's just, that's just Tom being his own stupid yeah, self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. How about the time Tancredo suggested the U.S. respond to a terrorist nuclear attack by bombing Mecca? He said, in 2007, Tancredo asserted that if Muslim extremists attack the country with nuclear weapons, you can take out their holy sites. That's
2: big. Well, that's a biggie. That's I'd, really big. I'd, that's really a big one. I'd, I'd
0: have to give him another 10 on another that ten. one. Yeah, Three 10s. Yeah. A 6 and a 2, so mm-hmm. we're at 38 so far. Good, okay, okay. Keep 38, this up. 38. All right, number it. 8. The Time Tancredo wanted to kick anti-border fence towns out of the country and then build a fence so that they were on the other side. <laughs> so all border towns that didn't like the fence would then become part of Mexico. That's so, a good
2: joke, It's man. a good joke. Is a, good good a joke. 4. I, I give it a 4, or a 4, me sure. too. <laughs> no, thirty-eight. 38. That's
0: Come 42. On. Here's number 9. The Time Tancredo introduced the Jihad Prevention Act. In 2008, while still in Congress, they elected this man. Tancredo introduced legislation to require aliens to attest that they will not advocate installing a Shahira law system in the United States as a condition for admission. Ah, 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 ah. That is so confusing. I don't know. That's very, that's really low level. I'm back
2: at two on Another two, So we're up to 40 now.
0: Okay. Number 10. The time Tancredo declared Obama was elected because we do not have a civics and literacy test. When Tancredo spoke on the opening night of the National Tea Party Convention in February, he argued that the lack of a civics literacy test before people can vote contributed to Obama's election. Literary tests, as we know, mm-hmm. are Jim Crow. Okay? Yeah. What about that? That's yeah. racist. That's straight on.
2: Well, that's straight on racist. That, that is. That's, five. that's. well, More. you know, it's balanced by the elitist
0: quality, which, uh, you know. Uh, that's true. Of, of the statement.
2: Yeah. So, so I think, I, I, I don't, go five. I think I, five. So we're, we're at
0: 45 now. Actually, this is number 11, not number 12. Okay. All right. So 45, uh, the time Tancredo told a crowd Obama should be sent back to Kenya. Oh, it, that's really That's low. In April, during the keynote address at the Tea Party rally in South Carolina, where else can you get away with this kind of like third-rate slander? Tancredo told the crowd that we're going to have to pray that we can hold on to this country and added this about the president. If his wife says Kenya is his homeland, why don't we just send him back? What do you say? Oh, that's a, that's, guess a 10. That's a 10. That's, that's a another 10. 50. It's... I mean, the guy is doing real well. I mean, yeah. I actually wasn't 11. Like, I think it's just eight, and he had a 50. Ooh, that's really good. You know, he's doing well. He's got mm-hmm. like a, almost a seven per. That's the a man's, good, good rating. The okay.
2: man. And is the last one
0: coming out? No, that's no? it. it, it that's he it? is a pro bigot. Uh-huh. Pro bigot. All
2: right. Yeah. I'm glad we, we have set the mark. Yeah. Tom okay. T., Tom the T. pro T. B.
0: Well, it's the beginning of the month, early August, but it's the end of the show. Comes and goes, but we do not leave without tangilation.
2: You know, uh, these five Tang poets have lasted us sixty programs because I believe this one has been number sixty. Oh, David, is this number
0: sixty? Remember when when we started going daily back on the twenty-second of April? We said sixty shows proof of pudding. There we go. We're here. We're proved. The pudding tastes just great.
2: And here's the first piece of pudding. This is Wang Wei. This is the first poem in this book, called The Spring Day at the Farm. Pigeons coo on the roof. Apricot orchards bloom white at the edge of town. The farmers are out with axes, pruning the mulberry trees, hoeing watercourses. Swallows hunt up old nests. Old men sit in the sun almanacs on their laps. I have forgotten my glass of wine, thinking of lost friends, dead friends, in a blaze of old pain.
0: Wow, in a blaze of old pain. They sure knew how to get at you, didn't they? Oh, pigeons on the roof It's spring. Yeah, they, <laughs> the thing about these Tang poets, and they're not alone, but there's... In this, but they, they, they really touch things so closely. They make little things so important because they are important. They reveal the importance of the everyday.
2: Each line is really just two characters, two images, oh, is that and, right? And two the, two, ideograms, right? two ideograms. I didn't know that. Yeah. And uh, the brilliance of these translations by David Young is that he really captures them. And there's a certain uh, duplication. Jade means a particular thing, or gold means you know. There are, as it were, cliche ideograms, but he just makes wonderful uh, music with them in this in this book from Oberlin College Press, Five Tang Poets. Hey, it's been really fun reading 60 of these, too. Oh, and there's more
0: it? to come. And there's more to come, there's and there's more, there's more to Oz to come. Anon, Anon, yes, indeed. It's Radio Free Oz. There's our bet. Ooh, I love that. What modified disco, genetically modified music. (laughs) I'm Peter Bergman, your host on Radio Free Oz. Co-host is David Osmond. Bill McIntyre is our producer. Dave Maloney is our audio engineer. Chaz Glass is our financial man. Tom Gedwillow is the Webmaster Scott Wilds in charge of social media and Phil Fountain makes it look oh so nice. Didn't he do a good job of integrating Dan Ellsberg's picture into the splash page last week? I thought it was fabulous. You know, I'm an iconoclast. I want, like, pure design all the time. You know, Uh, no, no pictures. But he did it. He's, He's showing me the way. So we'll show you the way next time on Radio
1: Free Odds.